0: Dr. Ron, unfiltered, uncensored, with episode number 245. We are uh, honored today to have a very special guest, Dr. Russell Jaffe. Uh, But before we do that, uh, I do have to uh, do some... uh, Oh, my gosh, what happened to my papers? Uh, I do have to do some work here, and uh, that is basically to read a disclaimer that my lawyers had me read. But I'll read that at the 4 o'clock marker since somebody has been at my desk. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we, uh, as you know, uh, have a really terrific guest from time to time, and today will be no exception. Uh, Dr. Jaffe uh, is the founder and chairman of PERC Integrative Health. Uh, it's P-E-R-Q-U-E dot com. This is a company that offers the world scientifically proven integrative health solutions to speed the transition from sick care to healthful caring. Dr. Jaffe has more than 40 years of experience contributing to molecular biology and clinical diagnostics. His focus is on functional predictive tests and procedures designed to improve the precision of both diagnosis and treatment outcomes, and he has authored nearly 100 articles on this subject. He received his bachelor's degree, his medical doctorate degree, and his Ph.D. from Boston University School of Medicine, completed residen- residency training in clinical chemistry at the National Institute of Health, NIH, and remained on the permanent senior staff before pursuing other interests, including starting the Health Studies Collegium Think Tank. Dr. Jaffe is board certified in clinical pathology and in chemical pathology. He is the recipient of the Merck-Sharp endemic Excellence in Research Award, the J.D. Lane Award, and the USPHS Meritorious Service Award. Dr. Jaffe was honored as an international scientist of 2003 by the IBC Oxford, England, UK for his lifetime contributions to clinical medicine, biochemistry, immunology, methodology, and integrative health policy. He is widely published and sought after to explain complex subjects to any audience. Dr. Jaffe is also the founder and chairman of ELISA-slash-ACT Biotechnologies and Magic Biotherapeutics. Ladies and gentlemen, this uh, is a real rock star I've been reading his work since 2014, and although this has sounded complicated, he, is, uh, he can break down uh, what we just said into uh, terms that you can understand. And basically, we're going to talk about some blood tests today, uh, blood tests that are called predictive biomarkers, and they're different than the blood tests that you get when you go to your doctor, as I'm finding out here in Florida a good doctor is defined as a doctor who orders lots of tests, x-rays, catch scans, and MRIs, and does very little uh, examining. They, they, what I'm finding here in Florida is when all the tests are normal, they finally examine the patient. Uh, well, we'll talk about that. Dr. Jaffe, good afternoon, sir, and Dr. Jerry Smith will join us shortly.
1: Dr. Ron, a pleasure to be with you. And I certainly Thank appreciate you. your reading that introduction just the way my mom wrote it.
0: <laughs> well, you have a terrific person in Justin. I've got to tell you, uh, mm-hmm. if I was uh, in, in practice, I would try and steal that person. <laughs>
1: uh, no, you can't poach him. Sorry. <laughs> thank you. I'll give
0: him the feedback. We we have a great team, and we're very privileged to have it. That is great. Dr. Jerry, are you, is that you on the phone?
2: Yeah, it's me. Oh, good. Okay, Hi, Dr. Dr. Jerry. How are you? Terrific. Yeah, I just was telling Ron earlier today, I've been using your products for many, many years. In fact, you're right mm-hmm. in my backyard. I think you're in the Princeton mm-hmm. area, right?
1: Well, uh, uh, I was at the Princeton Bio Center. I'm uh, really based in Vienna, Ashburn, and Sterling, Virginia
2: now. Oh, okay, now. But yeah, I, I heard you lecture, I think, one time over in the Princeton mm-hmm. area. I'm in the oh, yeah. Newtown, Langhorne area. Oh, that's right, yes.
1: Uh, we, we uh, Nassau Club and various other venues in that uh, neighborhood.
2: Yeah, so your products are great, by the way. Thank you. Appreciate the feedback. Yeah.
0: Well, Doctor Jerry, I already uh, introduced our our guest, and uh, I thought, uh, as I spoke with his uh, his personnel, that maybe we just have a conversation this time, and maybe Mm -hmm. get more specific as time goes on, and maybe Doctor Jaffe just explain what conventional. Blood testing. When the, you know, I, I, I go crazy when all my friends say, you know, I went to this doctor. He ordered ten pages of tests. He's really good. Explain what, how they arrive at the normals for these, these uh, chem profiles.
1: Well, with it, regard to the chem profiles, the the CBC complete blood count, the chem 20 studies, they are routine. They've been routine since I was a young physician. They are referenced to a range and usually the doctors say that the number or the value of the test is within the range or outside the range. As if there is some individual meaning to comparing that individual with that statistically determined, mathematically determined range. In the 1970s, that was the best we could do. Today, we deserve better. There are many... Tests, hundreds of thousands of them, actually. There are many biomarkers, thousands of them, but there are only eight predictive biomarkers that cover all of what we call epigenetics or lifestyle. All of the things you can do something about are covered in those eight tests. They have been validated on every population, every socioeconomic group, every geography, and they even give you, if you want, a prediction of 10-year survival Which, while that's interesting, what's more important is that within a few months, for most people who are not at their goal value, they're not at the best outcome value for that biomarker, that predicted biomarker test. Because if they were at their best outcome, goal value, they would have a 99% chance of living 10-plus years. And if they're at the usual level, say most people – go to their doctor, they're within the usual range, they're within the so-called normal range, as if that has something to do with normal. That has to do with statistics. And I'm not going to get into the mathematics of it, but the bottom line is we should all be doing the eight predictive biomarkers and looking at whether we're at our best outcome goal value or not, and then taking lifestyle steps for three to six months to see how close you can come back to that best outcome goal value. And in individualized cases, we go through another six-month cycle where we look for biochemical individuality. So it's not once and done, but it is a matter of adding life to years, years to life, and in most cases, reversing the loss of decades of quality of life so that you feel and function better, you get better restorative sleep, your moods are more stable, you're able to concentrate and remember, etc.
0: So Dr. we're talking about being pro, <laughs> oh. proactive about your health and, uh, and if you would just explain to our audience again about the epigenetics uh, and, Right, so let's versus start with genetics. epigenetics
1: Right. Let's start with epigenetics, right, because it's not genetics. So genetics is the DNA although it turns out your DNA is not a blueprint, it's constantly changing under the influence of your environment. Epigenetics is a word that you're Because epigenetics, we used to call it lifestyle medicine, but you get paid better if you use Greek and Latin words like epigenetics. (laughs) Epigenetics (laughs) covers 92%. This is an NIH figure that's been reconfirmed for decades. 92% of the quality of your life, of your health status, even the duration of your life, is determined by these predictive biomarker tests. And the usual chem profiles, which were fine in the 70s, when Galen and Gambino, colleagues of mine and friends of mine, who wrote a book called Beyond Normality, and that made all these profiles possible and now widely used. And while they may have had utility in the 20th century, in the 21st century, we need the predictive biomarker tests, and we need to know the goal values, the best outcome values, and we need to make changes in what people eat, drink, think, and do to bring them to their best outcome value.
2: Yeah. Dr. Jaffe, is this a type of test if they go to their family physician, he's going to understand it or have access to these, or where, where would someone go to get them? Well, you
1: can get them, and we can go over the eight tests so people can take note if they want. You can get them from almost any physician. However, most physicians, as I've indicated, get a report from the lab, and I understand that in certain states of the union, the, the more pages to the report, the better the doctor, whatever that means. <laughs> um, and what I'm saying is do the eight that have meaning and take action rather than do the hundreds or thousands of tests that you just get a harumph because there's nothing you can do about them. Uh, they reflect that your kidney is a kidney and your liver is a liver and your bone marrow is a bone marrow. And that's a good thing because you want all of those things. But when we talk about epigenetics, now we're talking about things that you can influence for better or for worse. And if your habits of daily living are shortening your life and increasing your suffering, we can identify where that's occurring and what to do about it. And that's where it's different than the usual, well, you're inside the normal range or not.
0: Okay, so Dr. Jaffe, let's, if you don't, if you would please, uh, let's mm-hmm. go through mm-hmm. the the eight tests that that uh, that you have listed uh, to
2: mm-hmm. uh, so that
0: people can live longer, not just uh, and, and healthier, not just longer, but longer and healthier. Uh, maybe we can go through that list.
1: Oh sure, let's start with one that's familiar to many people. It's hemoglobin A1C. Today, as a diabetologist or as someone who's interested in sugar balance in people. I no longer pay attention to fasting blood sugar or blood sugar insulin ratios or things like that, but I pay a lot of attention to hemoglobin A1C. Paul Gallup in the 1960s found that when the body has a need for more energy in the battery of the cell, in the mitochondrial battery of the cell, the body raises the blood sugar in order to put more sugar fuel into the cell to rehabilitate the mitochondria. So your hemoglobin A1C should be less than 5%. If it's 6%, you're an average American and pre-diabetic. If it's 6.5% or more, as it often is, you are diabetic and the quality of your life is impaired in every way. Cardiovascular risk goes up, cancer risk goes up, digestive problems go up. A lot of things actually have to do with impaired Sugar metabolism that the hemoglobin A1C test tells you whether you do or don't have an issue with that. So that's number one. Now we can talk a little bit more about that, or I can go on through the list of the eight, and then we can, you know, put it together in any way. Well, you but
0: let's just let's just stay with that for a second. I mean, that, that, that okay. it, a, lot, a lot of lot di- of most diabetics know about this test, but most non-diabetics, oh, yeah. so-called healthy people. There, I don't see physicians ordering this on any kind of regular basis, uh, and a person that does, does not I, have I, a high I, blood Dr. sugar. Ron,
1: Dr. Ron, I completely agree with you that most doctors are stuck in the 19th or 20th century. They're doing tests that may have been suited to the 19th and 20th century. They're not knowledgeable about the contemporary science literature that has shown for the last 25 years that hemoglobin A1c is a meaningful test of average blood sugar, and much more clinically useful than fasting sugar, 2 hour postprandial sugar, GTT, insulin glucose ratios, HOMA. These are things that I did as a research procedure. We have the most successful outcome study in type 1 diabetes and type 2 diabetes and we're happy to share that with clinical colleagues because one of the eight biomarkers relates to that aspect.
2: Now, so I do just you to
0: make them? sure our, our listeners understand that this is a test That should be asked for, even if you're not a diabetic.
1: Everyone should know their hemoglobin A1C,
0: and everyone should know that the
1: healthy people have less than 5% sugar stuck on their hemoglobin, so their hemoglobin A1C is less than 5%. Dr.
2: Jerry? Yeah, do you you have like a nutritional protocol of someone uh, A1C is out of balance that you could recommend well,
1: yes, and what we really recommend is to put the eight tests together as a suite or as a, uh, as a unit, and then let us guide you depending on your particularity. So we ask people to fill out a 15-minute questionnaire. It's called an HAQ, a health appraisal questionnaire. There are so many possible things that can influence adversely, Hemoglobin A1c that if I just gave you the whole laundry list, people would, they wouldn't know what to do because they don't need all, all people don't need all the things that are essential for a healthy hemoglobin A1c. What we have figured out over the last 40 years is how to parse that question. So if you'll give us the benefit of the specimen, blood or urine, and the HAQ, the health appraisal questionnaire, then we can come back and be very specific. Is it chromium and vanadium? Is it a lack of uh, an herb that, uh, like banaba that uh, enhances the insulin receptor? Is it related to pituitary endocrine influences on cellular metabolism? Is it related to magnesium deficiency or choline or citrate deficiency? We could con- I could continue because there are many, many things that can cause your hemoglobin A1C to go up aside from a hyperactive fork or, or eating too much sugar. Okay. Right. So basically right, it's I... a
2: global approach to reestablishing yes. health as opposed to just, yes. uh, you know, replacing a spark plug. Uh,
1: exactly right. We are not machines that break down. We are self renewing. And when we have all the good things and lack the bad things, we, we renew ourselves. In fact, no part of you, Dr. Jerry or me is more than 10 years old and that's our bones. Our blood vessels and large joints are seven years old, and most of us is new in the last few months. So this notion that I'm wearing down or wearing out or I'm aging, that's an illusion. What it means is you're lacking the essential things that help you repair, and you have too much distress or toxic exposure from the environment that is impairing your basic chemistry.
0: That is really a great point, and, uh, and I think our listeners uh, will probably have to listen to that again. Is that, you know, most of our cells re- re- regenerate every seven years? Uh, that that's just a, uh, a generality that I have talked about for years now, mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. you know we're not stuck, ladies and gentlemen. We are not stuck where we are. We can do something about it. That's the
1: good So, news. Dr.
0: Jaffe. That's hemoglobin A1C. What is your right, next
1: Right, so that's dentist? the first one, hemoglobin A1C, and the best outcome value that you should have is less than 5%. The second one has to do with repair. It's actually the measure of repair deficit. This is known as inflammation, and inflammation is connected to almost everything that uh, makes us ill. What we did was look at the molecular mechanism of inflammation and we found it to be repair deficit and we correct it by correcting the repair deficit, not by suppressing and fighting with the consequences of the inflammation. In addition, we have a test. Not that we developed. This was a test that Paul Ridker finds with the help of Rafi up at Harvard. It's called HSCRP, and that's an abbreviation or an acronym for High Sensitivity C Reactive Protein. So there was an A reactive protein, a B and a C and a D reactive protein, and the C reactive protein is an exquisitely sensitive measure of your ability to repair, also known as inflammation, and the goal value is less than 0.5, and most people are above that, indicating that they have chronic repair deficit and inflammation. Mm-hmm.
2: You know, it's interesting, you know, from a a dental perspective, because that's my primary background, there's a lot of infections in the mouth and, you know, toxic metals and, uh, you know, dissimilar dental materials and toxic materials that can create this hypothyroid and also Mm -hmm. chronic systemic inflammation that most Mm -hmm. physicians don't even, you know, factor into the uh, healing equation.
1: You're quite right. The mouth is the window on the body. Uh, Healthy gingiva, healthy gums are so rare that if you have them, send me a picture. The reason (laughs) that saliva is not very useful on many tests is because you don't just get parotid or submandibular saliva. You get sanguinous fluid from the gingivitis, from the inflammation and repair deficit in the mouth, which is reflective of the systemic repair deficit uh, that the uh, the individual uh, uh, sustains. And you're quite right. If you just took everyone who comes to a dentist and you had them do a C cleanse, you had them taking enough polyphenolics, had them taking enough magnesium to balance their calcium but in forms that can be taken up in chaperone for delivery, other essential nutritives, and you improve the ability of the repair cells, because remember it's the immune defense and repair system. So our immune system does defense first, when the HSCRP is above 0.5, then the immune system is on alert doing too much defense work and not able to complete the job. It's not able to complete the repair, because if the repair was completed, the HSCRP would be less than
0: 0.5. Okay, that's that's all right. So now we have uh, two tests. And, right. uh the, and and I, did did you mention that uh, a that, uh, reactive protein could be related to an underactive thyroid, or was that Dr. Jerry?
1: Well, Dr. Jerry raised it, and he's quite right. Um, when you put oxidative molecules, toxic metals, foreign substances that people have delayed allergies to, etc., when you put those in the mouth, you're setting the stage to deplete the body of the essential antioxidants from ascorbate to polyphenolics, etc. Um, and the consequence the consequence is systemic repair deficit, inflammation, and then the HSCRP is above 0.5. And what you want okay. to do then is stop the assault, reduce the toxins to the extent that you can, chaperone their removal from the body in safer, biologically compatible ways, and then restore the essential nutrients that have been eaten up by the oxidative stressors like toxic metals, hormone disruptors, Solvent residues, mold products, etc.
2: Well, you know, Dr. Jaffe, you know, one of the biggest problems, uh, you know, I think there's like 27 million root canals that are done yearly, and yes. as you well know, it puts out a plethora of toxins <laughs> and bacteria and chronic inflammation. And unfortunately, hmm. uh, you know, a high percentage of dentists think that this is uh, the gold standard, and and unfortunately, well, many, physi- yeah.
1: They're taught that that's the gold standard. They're taught at Forsyth Institute. They're taught at BU dental schools. Uh, Henry Baxter, the dean of the dental school at BU, was a big advocate for that. And he and I had debates. And he came around to say that there was a legitimate concern that people should avoid root canals if at all possible, and they should be explained the consequences of root canals if they're going to have
2: Well, that's an enlightening response.
1: From a dean of a dental
0: school.
2: I thought Absolutely. That
1: was
0: Okay so Dr. Now, Jeffy, you
1: want to maybe go on to number 3 the let's move to test, number 3 yeah number 3 this is uh, the uh, it's called homocysteine H O M O C Y S T E I N homocysteine this has to do with methylation this has to do with regulation of your genetic code and how it gets translated transcribed and delivered to you in the form of new proteins and new structure and repair, etc. So it's kind of important. In the nineteen sixties, Kilma McCulley showed that if your homocysteine was above six, that you are at risk of accelerated cardiovascular disease, atherosclerosis, stroke, kidney disease, etc. Others have now found it to be an all cause morbid mortality indicator. So if your homocysteine is up in addition to cardiovascular risks, your risk of cancer and of other chronic illnesses and of pain syndromes goes up dramatically. So we know that the healthy people have a homocysteine of less than 6 and that that's what your homocysteine level should be. What that means is that your methionine is higher and the homocysteine is lower, indicating the ability to methylate and demethylate the DNA, the RNA, the genetic material uh, efficiently. And it's the, the third of the eight biomarker tests.
2: Okay, well, we can come well, it's back to that yeah, interesting. Yeah most, yeah, most people are deficient in B vitamins, which, mm. you know, we all should know that the you know, B9, 6, and 12 uh, help to, you know, reduce the homocysteine level. But today Absolutely. it's all synthetic. You have, you know.
1: Well, no, no, you should have nature's form of the B complex. You always right. have balanced Bs, you know, since the 1950s. And, of course, you have enough to keep your urine sunshine yellow. Now, that means you're hydrated and yellow like the sun because if it's muddy brown or dark yellow, you need to drink more water because it's precipitated, it's concentrated, too concentrated. So you want a healthy B-complex that's reflected in a sunshine yellow urine. And for most people, that means a dramatic increase in the amount of B-complex latex.
0: Okay, so, uh, and, and we, we'll come back to, to, to the overall treatment uh, if we have time or at mm-hmm. another uh, visit with you, but let's get on to number four.
1: Uh. Number four has to do with your immune defense and repair system. It's the LRA by ELISA Act. It measures all of the harmful but not the helpful antibodies, and it picks up immune complexes, and it picks up T cells. So we have the white blood cells, that produce antibodies, and then we have the white blood cells that directly interact with our immune defense and repair system, and they're called T cells. That's from thymus, for those of you who are technical. The thymus is a gland inside your chest that has to do with maturing your immune defense and repair system cells. So T cells respond without antibody activation. Only harmful antibodies are a problem, and most antibodies are neutralizing beneficial and helpful. So our lab pioneered the ex vivo LRA by ELISA ACT. LRA stands for lymphocyte response assay. So you actually have white cells responding in our laboratory just as they do in the body. So it's an ex vivo as opposed to in vitro. In vitro means in the test tube. Ex vivo means just as it happens in the body. It's a test that emulates the body in the laboratory, and we can do now hundreds of foods, chemicals, medicines, and toxins on one ounce of blood, as long as the blood gets to us overnight. And there's a simple preparation so you don't have preactivated cells. And now a new generation of functional immune defense and repair tests is available that was not available before. And now we don't have to fight with the signs of impaired immune system. We want to substitute for the reactive foods, chemicals, and medicines, We want to enhance the tolerance in the immune defense and repair system, and then we want to come back after three to six months of substitution and see if you have restored digestive competence and lost reactions or if your digestion is still undernourished, if you will, if it's still impaired to some extent, and it is for many people, uh, even after six months of diligence because it took years to decades to get into your office. Even in that situation, we can come back after six months, repeat the test, see if you have lost some reactions and maybe acquired some others because your digestion isn't perfect on the second day when you start this program. So very often people come back after six months and they repeat the program, sometimes even a third time, and in many cases going from significantly disabled to significantly enabled just in a few cycles.
0: I just want to make sure our listeners understand that's the LRA test, lymphocyte response assay. Uh, that's yes, one LRA, that's probably...
1: Act, LRA, yes, that would be less familiar to most doctors. The first three tests, if a doctor hasn't heard of the first three tests, go to another doctor. They might <laughs> not have heard about the goal value. <laughs> they might not understand the predicted biomarker use of the test. But those first three tests, everybody, everybody, if you're a licensed professional, you should have heard of them, at least heard of them. You may not use them, but start not right. great. Now, the fourth, well, that's the why I LRA, want to make sure they
0: they they hear that again because that's one that no one talks about. So, uh, yes, I, LRA
1: I, it, lymphocyte response assay LRA by ELISA Act. You can go to our website elisaact.com and, and get as much information as you want, either as a consumer or as a professional.
0: So, if your physician doesn't know about the first three biomarkers and has plants that are dying in his waiting room, leave <laughs> leave immediately.
1: Well, I, I don't. I do. I do agree with you, Doctor Ron. Do you know that when I go into this? Is not it doesn't happen often, but when I go into a doctor's office, if they have plastic plants or dead plants, or nobody's paying attention to the plants, I just walk out.
2: Exactly. I'm sorry.
1: I won't. That's a bio, that's, that's what's
2: reception. That's a reception room biomarker. That's a reception room
1: response. at least I'm, I'm being candid with you. I want someone who cares about every aspect of their environment and I want to feel a healing presence, including, you know, healthy plants or a little water course or there are many ways of doing it, but somebody should pay attention.
0: (laughs) I love it. Uh, Dr. Jaffe, let's go on to number four, maybe something that yeah. uh, physicians should well, yeah, know about also. Number four with
1: the LRA. Yeah, number four with the LRA by Eliza Act. I and mean, am reinforce f- that one because it may be you know new to many people. LRA by Eliza Act is number four. Number five is one that should be familiar, may or may not be. It's properly measured vitamin D. Vitamin D is a neurohormone. We call it a vitamin, but it's really a neurohormone. And the healthy range is 50 to 80. Some people will tell you it's 40 to 90. Other people will tell you it's uh, 60 to 100. Uh, my range, my proposed uh, op- optimum range, is 50 to 80. Most Americans are below 20. Uh, at a consensus conference that I recently attended from the National Cancer Institute of the National Institutes of Health, they said that if you have less than 20 for the 25 hydroxy D, so you don't want to measure the one, 25 you don't want to measure the uh, one hydroxy you want to measure the 25 hydroxy D that's in the middle of metabolism if you're a technical expert on vitamin D but that has been validated as the correct measure and for a long time tests weren't being uh, properly done and labs were reporting confusing information to doctors and I agree with the endocrine society that the healthy vitamin D range is 50 to 80 and how much vitamin D should you take? As much as your body needs to get you into that 50 to 80 optimum range. And the reason I say that is Dr. Michael Holick, a vitamin D expert who's also known as Dr. Sunshine, tells me that 40 million or more Americans do not absorb vitamin D from their gut because of digestion disturbances called enteropathy, which is atrophy of the surface of your digestive tract. And so they must take drops under the tongue which is why I recommend drops under the tongue, 500 IU per drop, and the number of drops you need is the number that you as an individual need to get you into that 50 to 80 range.
0: Well, we we, we talk a lot, I, I, I guess a, a program doesn't go by that we don't talk about vitamin D, and we recommend a D3 along with K2. Does that fit your approach? Uh, well,
1: Dr. definitely Jeffy? D3. Definitely D3. If you're going to do it, um, under the tongue as I'm recommending it, so it, it, it is absorbed under the tongue before swallowing, then you want the D3 alone. And we put a little bit of rosemary oil as a natural preservative to protect the vitamin D. With regard to vitamins K, K1 and K2, are both helpful. Remember that vitamin K1 is converted by healthy metabolism into K2. And remember also that k one has a 6- to 8-hour half-life, whereas uh, vitamin K2 has a 3-day half-life, and it's actually fairly easy uh, for um, vitamin D2 to build up. Sorry, K2 to build up. K2, right. Yes.
0: So That's an important point. I I wasn't aware of that. It's a very
1: important point. No, no. Vitamin D, as you know, is fat-soluble. However, D3 is the correct form and 25-hydroxy D is the correct test, and 50 to 80 nanograms per mL is the correct range. Now, with regard to vitamins K, we do recommend that you think about consuming both K1 and K2, but be careful because you can get plenty of K2 from leafy vegetables, uh, sprouts, and, and seeds. When you take supplemental K2, I recommend that you take it kind of on an alternating day basis because it has such a long half-life and it
2: has the potential to build up, whereas K1 doesn't.
0: That's a, that's a really great point. Did you get that, Dr. Jerry?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I'm that's sucking the, it in like a sponge here.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm taking <laughs> notes on that because I, that's really important. Yes, yes.
1: Now, the next, if we can go on, the sixth is um, the, the uh, omega-3 ratio the ratio of omega-3 to omega-6 in your uh, membranes. This was developed by Bill Harris. More than 8% is the goal. Most Americans take in many times more omega-6 than omega-3. I recommend that you supplement with EPA and DHA, the active forms of vitamin, uh, the, the active EFA, the active good essential fatty acid, to balance out what probably is an excess of omega-6 in your diet. Now, you can reduce the omega-6 in your diet if you avoid chips, crisped foods, and edible oils. And in my home, where we have a permaculture biodynamic food forest in our front yard and a pretty whole foods-oriented kitchen, we cook with broth, we cook with wine, we cook with juice, uh, we sometimes add water, uh, but we never cook with edible oils and we never fry foods. So I agree with Mel Brooks, the 2,000-year-old man, stay away from fried foods.
0: <laughs> yeah, there 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 is a, a story going out that you're going to be dancing at 120. I saw that someplace.
1: That's my plan, and you can hold me accountable for it. And, and not just there at 120, you know, in a chair. I want to be up and dancing at 120. That's the goal. I think it's possible. You, you know, I'm 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 a little more than halfway there as you know. So I'm, I'm 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 functioning still as a 35 to 40 year old, which as far as I'm concerned is pretty good because that's about half my year.
2: Well, your you're really still brand new. That's the key. Exactly.
0: <laughs> yes. I will tell you that my dad is 101, and he he just got I just see him coming home now. Uh, he just he went to therapy so because he wants to go to Europe this summer and he wants to build up his uh, stamina. And, oh, uh, good. Typical Mediterranean diet. Our whole life.
1: Really, excellent. Yep. Uh, Artemis Samopoulos, my colleague, who really put. Uh, omega-3 fatty acids uh, on the map scientifically, and the Greek Mediterranean diet, as well as the Mediterranean diet, she'll be thrilled to hear that.
0: Tell him. Yeah, my dad is a testament mm-hmm. to it. All right, mm-hmm. so let's go on to another test, Dr. Jaffe.
1: Sure. Now, then there's a test, and this will be an unusual one. There's a test called 8 guanine, And this is a test of oxidative damage in your nucleus DNA. So it's not a genetic test, test of your genes, but it's a test of whether your genes are being oxidized and damaged or not. And it's called 8 oxo dash G-U-A-N-I-N-E, um, also known as 8 deoxyguanosine for those of you who are aficionados. Um, and we really recommend that uh, folks have that checked. It's a urine test. Um, it's available from any large and full-function laboratory, but if you haven't heard of it, you're not alone because it, it it is one that is unusual.
0: Yeah, that's a new one for me. When I read your article, I, that was that was new to me. I never when I left practice, we I never I'd never heard of that. So it's
1: I, want know, oxy- we, I want you to know we I want you yeah eight oxoguanine. It's a DNA oxidative stress test. And the goal value, the best outcome value, is less than 5.3 nanograms per milligram creatinine. So it's a urine test. You can do it on a spot urine, so that makes it a little more convenient. You correct it to the amount of creatinine in the urine, and you want to have less than 5.3 nanograms per milligram of creatinine as an indication that your DNA is not being damaged. Okay.
0: So as oxidative damage to the DNA. Uh- right. That that is uh, when you have right, when your DNA when your DNA is being beaten up,
1: you'll have more than 5.3 nanograms of the 8-oxoguanine uh, per milligram creatinine. So that value will be above 5.3 if your DNA is being damaged, and then you want to bring in protective antioxidants and protective minerals to prevent that. Okay.
0: All right. Let's go on to another test, Doctor. And Jack. the last, yeah, the last, the number
1: eight is one you do at home. We recommend you do this every day. And so after six or more hours of rest, the fluid in your bladder has equilibrated with the lining cells, and now you can measure the pH of the fluid of the urine to reflect the cellular metabolic acidosis risk. And healthy people will be between 6.5 and 7.5 on the pH scale. Basically, you tear off about three inches of a little colored strip of paper You either pee directly on it or you have a clean glass and you pee into the glass and you dip the strip and you look at the color. And you want to be green. If it's sand color, that's too acid. If it's darker blue, that's too alkaline. You want to be in the green middle zone. In almost all of these tests, it turns out it's a Goldilocks scenario. Not too much, not too little, just right is just right.
0: Okay, that's something. Dr. Jerry, you do that, do you not?
2: Yeah, well, I also, after I pee in the glass, I drink the rest because in India, it's <laughs> urine therapy. That's another
1: subject for another time. <laughs> Joanna another. Uh, I did that actually, just to. We'll talk about it another time, but I actually did that and I understand the theory of it, which is very interesting if you're willing to pay attention to it. But yeah. the psychology is another whole point.
2: Yeah. Well, I have an uh, interesting question for you. A lot of uh, patients or even people are talking about drinking this and pH 9 water, and mm-hmm. I personally, I, I don't recommend it. I just want to get your take on it.
1: Well, my take, and I have been saying this consistently since Kangen and other companies delivered these machines, they are for laboratories where you want to determine mm-hmm. the chemical pH of the water. They make the water alkaline by splitting water into an acid proton and a hydroxyl, what's called anion. The acid proton is drained off. The hydroxyl ions build up. You can get a pH of 9 or 10 or 11. But I'm telling you that hydroxyl ions are damaging to cells. And you have superoxide dismutase and catalase and various other um, enzymes in your body to prevent a hydroxyl radical from getting to your cells. Because if a hydroxyl radical the way in which they make the water alkaline, is chemical, not physiologic. If a hydroxyl radical got to your cell, it would damage it. Your body has many protective mechanisms to prevent such contact. So when the machine came out and many people were buying them because they're not inexpensive and they you know, claim to alkalinize you, I went to the company. And I said, do you have any science? And they said, oh, yes, we have lots of science. And I said, could you send some to me? And six months later, I had received nothing. So I went to them again, and I said, remember the science that you didn't get to send me? Could you send it now? And the guy said, oh, yes, right away, right away. And
2: I got material in
1: Japanese that said many people buy this machine, and they are very happy with it.
2: <laughs> and I'm
1: confident that many people do buy it, and I wouldn't doubt that many of them are happy with it. But that is not science. Now, I had the National Library of Medicine translate the Japanese because I don't speak Japanese. And so I went back to them and I said, "Sorry, you sent me the marketing literature, you didn't send me the science, and I'm still waiting for the science
2: because it doesn't exist. Great point. What
1: alkalinizes alkalinizes human beings and other animals
2: are minerals,
1: minerals like magnesium and potassium, but minerals, short-chain fatty acids, they alkalinize you, long-chain fats acidify you, but short-chain fatty acids like Medium-chain triglycerides will alkalinize you. Glutamine, an amino acid that can energize and repair your gut, alkalinizes you. But hydroxyl radicals? No. Keep the
2: radicals out of your house and out of your body.
0: That's another great point, Dr. Jerry.
2: Oh, absolutely.
0: Well, Dr. Jerry, I, I told Justin I wouldn't keep you too long, but I do do have to ask you one thing uh, sure. about... Are you, rec- are you still recommending that uh, when uh, a blood test where you measure the uh, LDL particles or the oxidized LDL ratio HDL ratio?:
1: Well, you yes, still- you can do that. No, no well, no, we have We continuously look at the world literature and evolve. So we did at one time recommend either measuring oxidized LDL or oxidized cholesterol directly. What we now recommend is the 8 the okay. 8 So you can right, so measure oxidized changed. cholesterol. You can measure oxidized cholesterol. You can measure uh, uh, oxidized LDL. They're very hard tests to get. There's only one company in America that offers the test. They happen to be in Brooklyn, New York. We got them to generalize the test, but they're very challenging to work with. Picky. And so we actually have moved on, and you're welcome to measure that if you want, and I'm happy to talk with people about it, but the DNA oxidative stress test replaces it, as does the omega-3 index, uh, as does the first-morning urine pH and the HSCRP. So the eight that I said are the eight that we recommend, but you're welcome to do any additional tests that you want. Just remember that these essential and elective predictive biomarker tests have a goal value, and you want to know the goal value and see how people compare to that, and then put a lifestyle program together to get them back to their goal value if they're not at it.
0: Dr. Jaffe, I've, I've learned a lot today. I, I think Good. Dr. Jerry has also. And and I think our listeners do, and I want to give them a chance to digest this. And maybe mm-hmm. at some point in time we could return and and talk about, the lifestyle modifications uh, that can be made under, in, with different scenarios of, these, of the predictive uh, results. Uh, yes, does that Seth, sound I like something welcome, we could
1: do? Yes, Dr. Ron, Dr. Jerry, and any of your listeners, if you folks have questions that arise from this conversation, let Dr. Ron, let Dr. Jerry know. We'll put together a presentation, another conversation, but that's a bit more personal. That gets into an example How come someone's thyroid and adrenals got rehabilitated when the magnesium, choline, and citrate were replenished, for example?
2: I think that's really important. You you have a fantastic product called PainGuard. I've been using it for many, many years. Mm -hmm. And basically it's quercetin. Does that have any science behind it to enhance mitochondrial function? Well,
1: um, I'm happy uh, to send you a preprint of our chapter on polyphenolics that will be out in a few months. Uh, so, yes, we're very much into the polyphenolics, but specifically and dihydrate, which is different than all other coercedents, and specifically soluble OPC, that's different than all other of the flavanols. So, yes, and dihydrate plus soluble OPC are the safer, more effective, ways of reducing HSCRP, because basically they help energize the granulocytes, the polymorphonuclear leukocytes, the wiggly dendritic cells that are responsible for touching every cell in your body every day and making sure that they're not abnormal, like the big C, and eliminating them if they're abnormal, that's called apoptosis, but also testing your connective tissue to make sure that the collagen, elastin, and infrastructure of your body is strong and renewed, so kind of important.
2: Well, thank you. Yeah. Sure.
0: All right, Dr. Doctor Jaffe, again, thank you so much. I, I, I would like to talk to you about Broda Barnes at some time. Uh, he, he's really oh, popular sure. on our he was, program. Oh, sure. He was
1: a saint. Broda Barnes was a saint. Subclinical hypothyroidism and subclinical... Then there's... Um, Myers, John Myers, with his subclinical adrenalism, uh, we could do a whole 45 minutes on that. That that's a very common situation that is commonly overlooked, and misunderstood, or maybe even mistreated.
0: That would that would be great. I would I would really like to tackle that topic with you at some point because we talk about it a lot. Dr. Jerry uses uh, a lot of the uh, Broder Barnes techniques, and, uh, mm-hmm. uh, and and so did I when I was in practice. Uh, in fact, I took took his courses up in Connecticut. But be that as it may. Uh, thank you so much. I don't want to uh, take up any more of your time. You have been a fantastic guest with a wealth of knowledge for myself, Dr. Jerry, and our listeners. And as we uh, develop this program and get questions from uh, our, our listeners, uh, I'll get back to you, and, and we'll set up another time if it's agreeable.
1: Please do. Please do. Justin's available at your pleasure. All
0: right. Thank you so much. <laughs> Dr. Jerry, any yeah, Thank you. Just thank you so much, and God bless. No, and Dr. Ron, will, uh, Dr. Jerry, thank you very
1: much. Look forward no, you to another
0: time. We will have Thanks another so conversation. Much. Thank you, Dr. Jerry. Uh, I'm going to uh, uh, close this down now, and uh, we'll I'll, I'll I'll get the MP3, and we'll play it again at four, and we'll take some questions from our audience. Uh, okay?
2: Yeah, perfect. I just you want to hang on for a second, or uh,
0: no? I'll call you.
2: Okay. Okay. Call me. Okay.
0: All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is an uh, interview with Dr. Uh, Russell Jaffe on Predictive Biomarkers. We'll see you at 4 p.m.
2: Support for this podcast comes from the University of Texas M.D. Anderson Cancer Center. With over 75 years of experience, their doctors treat more rare cancers in a single day than many physicians see in a lifetime. To become a patient, visit makingcancerhistory.com.